0: everybody. This is Sean Martin, host of Redefining Cybersecurity Podcast here on ITSB Magazine. And uh, I'm flying solo today for one of our Chats on the Road RSA conference in San Francisco. It's, uh, it's coming up the events, and there's a lot going on. And um, one of the things that I think it has been on on the top list of topics for a few years now is uh, software bill of materials. And I'm always keeping an eye on this topic, uh, on social media and elsewhere. And I, I came across a tweet, good old social media triggered, uh, something from our good friend, uh, Alan Friedman at CISA, who's on with us, Alan, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Sean. And, uh, your, your tweet basically said you, you were hoping to speak at RSA on S bombs and there was already a ton of stuff going, going on in this topic. And, uh, rightfully so. A lot of it's because of the work that you and, and the team at sys have, have done over the years. And uh, I want to thank you for that first off, but then kind of get your thoughts on uh, what prompted you to, to put that tweet up.
1: Sure. Well, you know, uh, we always get a little disappointed when we don't get the talk accepted at the big flashy conference. And for me, this would be, I think, uh, you know, would have been 10 years in a row speaking there. Was, you know, the we try to find new and important issues around cybersecurity policy to talk about. <clears throat> but uh, you know the talks I pitched uh, didn't make it past the committee. At first, I was a little sad about that. And then when the program came out, I actually got uh, pretty inspired because it turns out there are you know probably 10 talks uh, that are related to SBOM and another 10 that are in the broader uh, effort. In fact, uh, when the conference published their sort of trends this year. One of them things that they referred to was between the open source and supply chain, uh, and, you know, focuses on hardware risk. Uh, you know, the, the, the s bombification of things has really taken off. And for me, that's the sign that a community has developed, is it isn't just one person from the government speaking ex cathedra. It's actually saying we've got uh, New approaches to theory, right? What's the future going to be? We've got implementation style talks. How are people doing it? What works? What doesn't? And what's the future? Um, right? How are we going to relate this to things like AI ML or uh, other parts of the supply chain world? So it's, you know, the, the positive spin is even though I don't get the nice little speaker ribbon, uh, there's a lot of great things going on, uh, at RSA and around RSA around the idea. That really shouldn't be that shocking in 2023, which is, hey, maybe we should know what's in our software.
0: <laughs> Just a minor point of uh, of understanding that we need there. Um, so be- before, and I, I I wanted to talk about the tweet, but before we get any further, Alan, um, I think a lot of our listeners probably know of you and have probably come across your work in some fashion, maybe even met you in person at some events. Uh, Some folks may be new and uh, not know who Alan is. So maybe a few words about your journey into CISA and uh, the work before and at CISA for uh, the Bill of Materials stuff that you've been working on.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm Alan Friedman. I'm the guy who doesn't set up about SBOM. And uh, we'll talk a lot more about that. But uh, I'm, I'm a failed professor who got suckered into joining government about seven or eight years ago. Uh, and a lot of that work, broadly speaking, is to say, how can the government help create better markets for security? So we sometimes talk about a market failure in security and what can we do through the different levers that we have uh, in government to essentially reward people who are paying attention to security and nudge along the folks uh, to hopefully drive some change. And so I started off at uh, Commerce, uh, did some work on coordinated vulnerability disclosure, starting in you know, 2015 at a time when that was still a pretty hot button topic. It was the first government initiative. We've done work on uh, some IoT security, and then uh, this idea of SBOM, uh, which was, was not a new idea, but the work that we started at Commerce and now at CISA has been to say, how do we pull together the broad software community, people who write software, people who buy software, people who maintain software, and that's pretty much all of us these days, to make some progress? So I joined CISA a year and a half ago. It's the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. Uh, we're the nation's cybersecurity agency, uh, focusing on how to defend and advance uh, cybersecurity. And I'm a senior advisor and strategist there. I coordinate our SBOM efforts, both across the US government and uh, around the entire ecosystem, and now around the world, because this isn't just an American issue. Cybersecurity is a global issue. Uh, And I also work on a number of other related issues around uh, vulnerability management, open source software, uh, and of course, uh, helping to support our new uh, mission around uh, secure by design and secure by default.
0: So I, I want to get get your perspective on how things have have transitioned over the last few years. Perhaps, of course, cloud is not new, um, APIs are not new, open source is not new, but certainly the the proliferation proliferation sorry of of APIs and microservices seem to have really taken off where everything is connected to everything and in there you have the open source and you have the commercial stuff and you have all these elements how how has the landscape shifted to where it's perhaps complicated matters for SBOM, <laughs> and but also maybe the, the work that you've done around software bill of materials have helped to really wrangle
1: uh, a view of that Sure. So let's start by making sure that we're all on the same page on, on what an S-bomb is. Uh, right, it stands for Software Bill of Materials. And it's this radical idea that, as I mentioned, we should know what's in our software. And uh, you know, I, I, we use the analogy sometimes of a list of ingredients. Uh, and, and it's not a perfect analogy, but it's really helpful for a couple of reasons. One, because at the end of the day, it's about knowing what you have. And two, it's also noteworthy that a list of ingredients by itself is just a list, it's not going to inherently make things better for you. If there's someone in your family uh, that has a deathly allergy, just the existence of a list of ingredients in the pantry won't save them, Uh, right? If if you want to stay on your 2023 diet, saying I'll only buy things with lists of ingredients won't make that happen, you know? vegetarian, plant-based, religious lifestyle, all of these things uh, aren't magically done by the list of ingredients, but good luck doing any of those things without that list of ingredients. So it is a data layer that helps us think about risk. Now, to work properly, this model of software transparency at both a technical level, <laughs> Sorry, always fun when you get so excited about the work that uh, your right. ear pops out of your mouth. I'm right there uh, with you, your ear brother. Yes. Uh, so the um, right to, to work properly, it needs the scale for all software. So, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, there were very few software companies, and software just sat on a disk. Today, there are a couple of things, which is software is in everything, and everyone is now a software company, right? You make cars, you're a software company. You make medical devices, you're a software company. And of course, the we've gotten a lot better and more efficient at creating all of these different layers in our stack. Uh, so right, the cloud-native world, the containerized software world, infrastructure infrastructures, code, dynamic code writing, all of these things have changed uh, how we're doing it, and indeed, Lots of great discussions about how do we secure it. And uh, our our thinking around transparency has to evolve as well. So if something's going to run on my network, well, then the case for transparency is very easy, right? It's on my network. I need to know what's in it so I know how to defend it. When we find the next vulnerability, when we find the next log for J, how do I know whether or not I'm affected? Well, an s is going to help because I don't want to have to call every single vendor all the time. What does that mean for cloud SaaS? That's one of the things that we're working on uh, here at CISA is pulling together industry experts to sort of explore what this means in different domains. So uh, one there, of the- Are there uh, different
0: working groups? I don't know, did, did you open this up to to the, the public sector? I'm sorry,
1: the private sector? De, to, uh... de- definitely. So what have we done at CISA around SBOM uh, are a number of things. And we can talk about some of the government side as well, but a lot of it is to say, hey, we need to enhance and refine this. So we started off by saying, what's an SBOM? And people had ideas in their heads, but what we did at uh, NTIA uh, was have everyone come together and say, this is the basics, this is the minimum elements or the minimum viable product of an SBOM, of what we mean. And it turns out, so that's been very powerful. It means that we've been able to make a lot of progress, And over the last couple of years, there are dozens of companies that have grown up to help create SBOMs, manage SBOMs, consume SBOMs, dozens of open source projects uh, and companies that are creating open source tools. But we still need to understand and enhance and refine this. So at CISA, we're focusing on how do we scale this and how do we refine the concept to apply to new domains uh, or domains that may not be a perfect fit. Uh, that includes things like firmware, is there a difference between firmware and software, uh, cloud, and other things. So we have uh, five working groups uh, that are all industry-led. They're supported by the community. They're open to everyone. We've got people participating from around the world, including one very dedicated guy from the uh, Japanese national cert who chimes in. God knows what time of night for him. Uh, as well as right companies around the world. Representing all sorts of different sectors, uh, and of course, people from the open source world, because again, we're thinking about dependencies. More and more of our software is based on open source. So, um, there, there are a bunch of different topics. If you want to know more? Uh, I encourage folks to check out slash SBOM. Uh, we're talking about a range of fun issues, uh, everything from how do we help people get started? Right? What's the, what are the on-ramps and adoption uh, to how do we move this stuff around so we don't really have great solutions today for sharing supply chain metadata down a complex supply chain? How do, When I have uh, you know, medical devices on a hospital network, how do I figure out what's in them? Uh, if I'm worried about you know, what's in a modern product and I want to see all the way up the supply chain, Uh, How do we get visibility? And so thinking about that sharing is a key piece as well.
0: Yeah, and as you you talk scale, I mean, I I built enterprise software for a big yellow company for many years, and scale always meant how do you get that multinational organization (laughs) secure with all those endpoints and servers and IoT, whatever else was on their networks and their partners and everything. But scale, in this sense, to me, also means scaling down to the small Shops that don't have big security teams, if any, let alone uh, proper processes and, and staffing and skills to actually do this stuff. So how how do you help some of where probably where most of the organizations sit in the small medium business arena to to help understand this? I, I like the concept of MPP MVP. I don't know if that's if there's something there that you're doing to kind of help scale this down so that Everybody can absorb it.
1: Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk more first broadly about the question of scaling broadly in cybersecurity. Uh, and there are lots of issues that start off as specialized key topics for, we'll say the haves in cybersecurity, you know, nothing unique about supply chain or, uh, security assurance for this. Um, Let's look at something like threat intelligence, right? That used to be something that like eight companies in the world could have, and they'd specialized employees. And then we had some companies roll out, uh, and people started to meet the needs. And now it's not something that everyone in the world is gonna have threat intelligence, uh, but that's something that now is a a basic part of building a quality security program, right? This is a, a trickle down effect. Now, there are always going to be uh, organizations that are lagging, right? We don't have an infinite budget for security. Um, Even well-resourced companies often fight for resources and security, especially in today's approach. And of course, as uh, CISIS director, Jen Easterly often talks about, the target rich cyber poor, right? Organizations that are vitally important uh, to uh, our way of life, keeping the water on, keeping the lights on, uh, hospitals, schools, uh, and we wanna help them. But on the specific question of SBOM, there are a couple of paths forward. For the people who produce software, uh, small might actually be an advantage, right? If you're a small new company, maybe you don't have the world's most sophisticated DevSecOps model, but chances are you're using new tools. Uh, chances are you have something that looks a little bit like a CI CD pipeline. You might even be sort of building some cloud native behaviors and containerization behavior. And SBOM is easier as you move into that space. And a lot of the tools that we all use have the potential to have SBOM baked into them. So there's a command in Docker called SBOM. You know what it does, Sean? Gives you an SBOM. Uh, GitHub just rolled out uh an automatic uh s-bomb generation feature for free for uh public repos so the smaller organizations are at a little advantage compared to the big legacy companies and i'm even talking about the you know tech giants which have so many different products uh right if you're a manufacturer uh, you know global manufacturer you have dozens of different divisions maybe you don't have a security team that spans across them everyone's sort of in their own silo uh you got a lot of legacy process uh products and a lot of legacy processes that you're going to have to adapt uh, so for example i i talked to um lisa bradley from dell who is doing amazing work in her organization of getting visibility but she gets annoyed when i say you know hey a single command will do this for you uh because right her organization is very well optimized for producing quality software. Not paid by Dell to say that, of course, we don't endorse Dell or particularly say they're, you know, anything one way or the other, but we just want to acknowledge that, right. Larger organizations are trying to get visibility, uh, in a way that involves bringing together many different companies, uh, many different parts of an organization. So, uh, one last story here. I've talked to, uh, one of the the senior product security leads for a very large manufacturer in the energy space And I mean jesus you know if we had s today across our company it would save us thousands of human hours a year uh because every time a new vulnerability comes along they have to say are our customers affected right that's what a good product security team does and we need automation in that space s won't solve that problem but SBOM drives automation that allows us to do that faster and more efficiently.
0: Yeah, you need, you need the data to make those decisions. And certainly you can't make the decision or you can't automate a decision if you don't have the decision made uh, with some validation. Exactly. I love that. And you, you're preaching to the choir. It's often something I talk about on my show that if you could just change the way you do something up front. Uh, you can reduce the exposure, limit the risk, and ultimately, downstream, save people time from having to patch stuff or make it easier to patch stuff if it, uh, if you know what's going on. Let's um, let's move a little to what's going on uh, at the conference. So I know there's, I think I did, when I did a search. Let me just, you rattled rattled off some numbers, but I, I captured five sessions on SBOM. 28 on supply chain, 22 on open source. I didn't get into the to the hardware security search. I'm sure there's there's probably a good dozen in that space as well. Um, I don't know how we want to take this. I'll, I'll kind of take your lead, but one way to, for me to to kind of look at this is maturity level. So, folks just getting into the world of of managing software components. Where might they start uh, and then move up? Or uh, if there's interesting topics or sessions, I'll kind of leave it to you to maybe highlight some of the things that uh, you're excited about seeing on the agenda that you think would be worthwhile for folks to, to take up.
1: Uh, sure. And, and right. Always tricky to do this because right, you don't want to ignore <laughs> your friends talks. So I'll, I'll flying. We'll, we'll throw a two out that there are... first. That's all right. Oh, yeah. I'll, 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 <laughs> right.
0: I'll take that. I'll take that. And then, then you, sure. can, you can blame me. <laughs>
1: uh, well, so th- I think there's a, it's a great one of sort of the intersection of technology and policy Josh Corman is, is going to give a talk, uh, where he sort of says, you know, let's look at the, political side of transparency who's who's concerned about this and then go through some of the more common concerns and the risks of transparency and see which ones are valid that we collectively need to address and which ones may be you know fud or people playing for time because they don't want to show the world that their product has some technical debt in it, or they don't want the cost. They don't want to underwrite the one-time cost of getting transparency. Uh, So I think that's going to be a really interesting talk. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, sort of think through uh, and and hearing his perspective, because Josh is is an excellent big picture approach. Uh, Another more general talk uh, that is, I think, going to be getting into some of the mechanics is uh, a talk uh, by Chris Blask, uh, who's, who's been in security for a long time, uh, and I think is now uh, supporting Cybeats, um, and a woman named Kate Stewart, who's uh, Vice President of the Linux Foundation. And, and they're going to be uh, doing a little bit of uh, peering into the future, of saying, hey, the world on SBOM is the name of their talk, and, and sort of talk about, hey, what are, what are some of the real benefits and use cases? Uh, and, and what are some of the things we can anticipate? Because again, what I love about this idea of SBOM is it's a brand new data layer. And right, uh, I'll, let's use a, a more historic example. CVEs don't fix a thing, right? Giving a vulnerability uh, a CVE number doesn't protect anyone. Right, it, it's just assigning a vulnerability a string. But because we have that program, and because we have things like the NVD, um, now we have an entire ecosystem of tools that are built on it that organizations can pull together and tool A supports tool B supports tool C, um, or you just write one giant check to one particular major sponsor of RSA and they'll solve all your problems. But the, 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 the vision is we have a thriving ecosystem. And I think that's a vision that I'm really excited. Both uh, Kate and Chris uh, have been right about a lot of things. Uh, Kate was involved in creating uh, one of the two major uh, SBOM standards called SPDX, uh, which along with CycloneDX are sort of the two ways that we implement this. Uh, SPDX is, is older and Kate had the foresight to realize we need machine readable ways of thinking about open source licensing. Uh, and Chris has also been sort of looking ahead. So I'm, I'm really excited about that as a historical approach. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, those are the two talks that I'm sort of more excited. There are a couple of interesting panels uh, that are, are also going to be sort of thinking about uh, at the corporate level and at the technical level. So it should be uh, a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and I'm uh, we're certainly not here to recite all the sessions cuz there are far too many so I'm not not going to make you do that and I'm going to incur we'll we'll put links in the notes for for people I do, I've done the search and and uh, we'll make make that part easy for them. There, there are a couple other things I wanted your thoughts on on these few points. Um kind of where SBOM fits into the security program. I think there's there's a natural it goes in devops, devsecops. Um but how does it fit into cloud security and containerization versus uh, patch management and, and risk management versus uh, detection and response and recovery? Uh, any thoughts on that? And I, sure I don't know if, you know, if there are any sessions that that kind of highlight that that I think that would be interesting as well, but not
1: not necessary yeah. if you don't have a to be your tongue. <laughs> so uh, we like to use uh, three buckets to think about how uh, SBOM can really drive change, right? How do you go from data to intelligence to action? First is the producing of software, whether it's developers or the product team leads, um, just visibility into what you have, know what you ship. And this isn't just good for security. This is good for quality and cost as well. Um, there's a, a supplier uh, in the sort of OT space that thinks about bombs. Uh, and they've done analysis and teardowns of of some very large product systems, and then, hey, some of these major vendors that maybe come from companies that were not super friendly with are shipping, you know, six seven versions of the same piece of software. That's just code bloat. That's inefficient. That raises your total cost of ownership. Uh, and so again, security is important, but it's also a quality story. And Sean, I know you know this that modern DevOps uh, actually the security in the software world kind of stole that from heavy industry, uh, and they've really had to invest in quality uh, and quality process to be globally efficient. And so we've seen that spill over uh, through, you know, Gene Kim's work and everyone else into into the DevOps domain. So that's the production side, and then there's the uh, decision side, right? We all either buy software or select open source software that we're going to run in our organizations. Before we make that decision, there are a lot of things we're going to want to look at. Obviously the economics, but the security risk. And so one is, do I want to buy from someone who can't produce an S-bomb? Think about what that means. If there is a company who's selling your product and they can't actually give you an S-bomb, how can you trust that organization? Uh, and and why can't they do it? Is it just they they know what it is, but it's it kept in their own internal data format, or is it that they just have a bunch of teams going rogue and they pull things together? This also it's allows you to the think Coca-Cola about Coca Cola formula, Alan. Yeah. Well, and and some of it is, is is proprietary, and that's fine, and we have solutions for that. Um, but it also allows you to sort of do the risks that you care about. Are you worried about? open source risk and unsupported open source. Are you worried about existing vulnerabilities? Are you worried about nation states being in your supply chain when you think your regulator may ask you to take certain things out? So there's a lot of stuff that goes into the sort of supply chain risk management pre-purchase. And then the last piece of what you're going to do with an bomb and what tools you're going to have is, hey, once I have an SBOM, what do you do with it? Now, I'll acknowledge that's a new issue right now because until recently, no one had SBOMs. So it'd be kind of weird if we had a bunch of SBOM tools. right? But we're starting to see that fit in to um, different types of tools that organizations are already using, as well as new startups that are rolling out plans to manage the bomb data for you, and then integrate it into things we're already doing. One of the things that I'm looking forward to at RSA is talking with a lot of the suppliers in the, vendor management, in the vulnerability management space and in the asset management space and in the config management space. Um, because again, these are services that a lot of companies are already paying for. So let's talk about how we can integrate SBOM data into it. So not only do I see, is there a vulnerability in you know, this blinking box that's vital for my business to operate, but maybe there isn't a CVE against this because there's only a thousand customers. But I do care about: Are they using an out-of-date crypto library? Are there things? Are there libraries here that are vulnerable to RCEs and things like that? So, I think this. Looking ahead, we're going to see a lot of folks in the expo hall uh, having S bomb on their marketing literature, and I got to tell you, I've got mixed feelings about that. On one <laughs> hand, it's nice to see; on the other hand.
0: You, you infosec arrive. marketing
1: is a little infosec marketing always makes us all feel a little dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we won't go there, but I, I know what you're
0: saying. Um, this, as you're talking and I'm, I'm thinking of that chain that you were describing those three, those three buckets. And there's a, a fourth step, the last mile, I'll call it uh, to the consumer. And this is coming out of left field, but, but I've seen, seen some talks on this as well. We're, uh, where NIST has done some work on, you called it ingredients, but what, what are the what are the elements in the product, <laughs> and then providing that to the consumer. So I don't know. Again, this is out of left field. So if you don't have a, a response to this at the moment, that's fine. But any any collaboration with NIST to cover that last mile to say the S bomb turns into uh, the software stuff that gets
1: presented to a consumer when uh, when they buy. Uh, so, gr- great question, and, you know, who's the target audience? Who should be making these decisions? There's a lot of work happening all across the government uh, around things like IoT labeling and, and really what drives change. So one thing is to push it all the way to the, the human who is uh, right, who's making things in, in home goods. Um, I think SBOM might eventually reach there, but right now, this is very much a a broader business risk, uh, in part because those are the organizations that are empowered to make that decision, rather than the uh, bank to make that decision, uh, rather than the bank's customer to say, hey, is my bank safe? We want the bank to do it. Uh, So the director of CISA, Jen Easterly, gave a talk at Carnegie Mellon University uh, about a month ago where she rolled out SIS's secure by design and secure by default model. And the title of her talk was unsafe at any CPU speed. Uh, And it asked the question, just as, you know, 40 years ago, we said, hey, why are car companies allowed to sell things that when they take a turn wrong, blow up? And similarly, we're starting to ask the question, hey, why are there lots of IT products that when you buy them are inherently insecure? We know there's always going to be risk. Zero risk is not a goal. And everyone in the cybersecurity world knows this. But at very least, we can start asking, why are things out of the box, not secure? Why don't they have key common features? Now, this is we're starting to push this a number of ways across the administration, Uh, The president's executive order in 2021 laid out uh, in section four of that executive order. It's a long executive order. Um, Section four said, hey, for the government to buy it, you got to have these properties. You got to have MFA enabled in your dev environment. You got to have a separate dev environment from your build environment, Uh, right? Not impossible things and things that like good security people don't understand why we don't already have. And one of those is SBOM. Um, but there are some other features there. And so coming back to your question, what do we want to do is we want to create a world where for the end consumers who are not in a position to secure things, let's work on making things secure out of the box, having common security properties. For organizations that are in a position to make risk decisions about the software they buy, let's give them the transparency, the data to make those decisions and to make those decisions more cheaply and more easily. And that's really the idea behind SBOM and our broader agenda around things like VEX, rethinking vulnerability data spaces, things like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I asked uh, one is in my mind. So I have to ask (laughs) And Marco's not here to stop me, but um, (laughs) just the, the idea of the value of, of security. And I think ultimately where the, or the money is spent or not spent. If we're supporting the companies that take it seriously and make the investments, versus the ones that can't prove <laughs> that they do things the right way, quote unquote, the right way, uh, they don't earn our money and therefore they don't they don't exist. Maybe that's a little utopian view there, but um, anyway, that's kind of why I was going with that. Let's let's look at the future. Let's bust out the crystal ball now because there are a few sessions there on the list that make me wonder, is it the current state of where we are managing S-bombs or is it a future state? And let's just go to it. It's AI, right? So I know, and certainly with generative AI, there's a a lot of conversation right now, which isn't necessarily the same thing as AI in in these types of situations. But what's the future hold? How far can we get? Obviously that's going to be helpful in, in decision making sure. and automation and orchestration, those types of things. But what, what's the future hold with that and other things?
1: Sure. So I, one of the things that's become gratifying as we sort of see the idea of S bomb go from a, what is this to dear God we can't do that to okay this seems like part of the future is the expansion of the idea of transparency into other domains. So you talked about AI ML. As we think about the risks and the concerns and the power. Uh, knowing what's in these engines is going to be key. And so there's already some work happening on what transparency means in the AI, AI ML context. Uh, Berkeley and Stanford have a joint project on this. Uh, there's some great work uh, at Indiana University uh, thinking about what an S-bomb means for modern uh, generative AI platforms. You know, how do we track the data separately from the network generation process from... You know, the test assessment software and things like that. Um, Hardware is obviously something that a lot of people care about, especially in the national security context. Uh, If you thought SBOM was hard, uh, wait till you look at hardware. Uh, And and that's something, you know, I've got a lot of friends in the hardware space and they always are, you know, looking at me as a software guy saying, oh, you sweet summer child. Uh, And in transparency, that's that's going to be uh, key. Which is, but it's also really hard. There are a number of people who say, "Oh, we can already do uh, hardware supply chain and hardware S bombs or H bombs." We'll and sadly, I don't think you can. Uh, we'll get there, but you can take the hash of a software library. We can track the pedigree provenance of open source. Can't take a hash of a dim. Uh, and tracking a SKU, a product number inside a company is very different than saying I can follow that product across a bunch of different organizational boundaries. Uh, So we'll get there, but this is something that we're slowly working on. And what I wanna do is also focus on linking it rather than building one bomb to rule them all. Let's say, let's, let's focus on saying, let's build out individual capacity. And then if you wanna put them all in the same file, that's great, but there's a lot of reason why we should be tracking this data separately because different data is going to change at different times, right? Vulnerability data evolves. And we're going to want to sort of be able to map whatever data we're looking at to different types of risk. Nice. And
0: um, another maybe off-the-wall question, the, the role of blockchain. Because So uh, I don't know if there's any value. I mean, you, need, you need to have integrity, right? Uh, so uh, in, in in the SPO, I don't know if blockchains help solve that or what.
1: Here's where I'm going to uh, run very close to making my uh, press person a little terrified. Uh, so I'm speaking for myself and not for Sissa, uh, but I've been pretty outspoken in my skepticism uh, for ledger technology. Um, one because it has been the next big thing for ten years, and I think at a certain point. Uh it's you, you don't get to be the 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 brand new special bell of the ball if you haven't produced anything meaningful in 10 years, despite a ridiculous amount of money and a huge number of companies that says blockchain will solve this. And then they realize it can't. And there are a bunch of reasons why, including scaling issues, uh, and including the fact that once you layer the security pieces on to your DLT, then you're like, oh well, we need a PKI anyway, so we don't have any of the savings that come from making things truly distributed. There are a couple of companies out there uh, that have been doing this, and and they're they're full of very smart people. But I think the requirements of what are needed can't just be solved by magical separation. I'm not going to rule it out that the solution won't be something that is a distributed ledger, um, but. The distributed ledger by itself won't solve our, all of our problems. You know, sprinkle a little blockchain on it; hasn't worked for just about <laughs> anything. Won't work here.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your uh, your candor there. And uh, yeah, who knows where where things will go? <laughs> there's, right. And I, I won't even go down the, the. Yeah, there's no need to go down other paths. But um, <laughs> well, listen, I'm I'm thrilled one to to have you on the show. It's great. Great to get your insight in all this stuff, and I want to thank you for all the work you've done uh, leading up to your uh, current role at CISA and, and uh, bringing the community together to, to move things forward. Lots to do still, of course. And um, I want to say that we only scratched the surface here. One, there are plenty of sessions right on this topic. I'll, I'll include links for that. Uh, but more importantly, perhaps, uh, in the notes, We'll have Alan's uh, profile. You can Connect with him on social media where he wants uh, that to happen. And uh, CISA will be at at RSA. Uh, I believe he'll have a booth there, so I would encourage everybody to stop by, say hello, ask a few questions that are relevant for you and your organization, and uh, and perhaps even contribute, become part of the part of a working group, and uh, help help move things forward. Uh, so the year Herd is part of this solution.
1: And if anyone is interested in learning more, we have a nice handy email address, sbomb at To learn more, if you want a briefing for your organization, and if you want to see some great available resources, sysa.gov uh, slash sbomb. Stop by our booth uh, at RSA. And at the risk of uh, getting a little too far for the plugin, uh, we're always hiring. Uh, we need uh, really smart people who are committed to a cybersecurity mission who want to help secure uh, the nation. And uh, we have a lot of interesting roles. So, again, if that's the sort of thing that you're interested in, stop by our booth at uh, RSA. I love it. I've, uh,
0: I've thought about it many times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We'd love to cool. have you, Sean. Come on, be a uh, senior advisor. That'd be fun help us shape the future. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm, I'm here here doing podcasts, spreading the word uh, for everybody. Excellent. But um, uh, an absolute pleasure, Alan, and I look forward to seeing you and the rest of the team uh, there in San Francisco. And, uh, yeah, appreciate you being part of this. And for everybody listening, as I mentioned, tons of links to tons of good stuff. And uh, stay tuned as we continue our coverage for RSA Conference uh, 2023. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, everybody.
1: See you all at Moscone. Thanks.